Hello, and welcome to the Baz Reviews Bazcast. I'm your host, Baz, and on this episode, we're going to get into some pretty crazy topics here. I'm going to get into my music hot takes, I'm going to talk about my favorite movies um, about music, and I'm going to have an interview with one of my favorite YouTubers who also does a lot of really cool music video essays. His name is Polyphonic. To check out more amazing content on my website, go to wtbazone.wixsite.com slash bazreviews. Welcome aboard. Hello, new listeners, and welcome back, old friends. We're getting into the May edition of the Baz Reviews Bazcast. Thanks again for everybody for tuning in to this one. Um, sorry for the delay. It's been a crazy six weeks here. I mean, if you've been tuning into my website, I've been having interviews. You know, I've just been really focusing on that. But now that I have time to just kind of settle down now, I'm recording the podcast. So hope you guys are enjoying the content that's on my page. Um, so without further ado, let's get into um, uh, a recap of the month of April. So, um, the first album I listened to was called Lush by Snail Mail. Um, I'd already heard a couple singles off of it already. Um, it's the debut release of the teenage singer Lindsay Jordan. If I could really edit my best albums list of last year, I would definitely make a spot for this. Um, I love a lot of the sounds on Lush, but I think, um, Jordan's superb songwriting is really the real standout here. I, I just think, personally, this new, younger generation of songwriters are going to dominate the charts because they're at such a ripe age to be speaking about their experiences. It's like she talks about unrequited love, heartbreak, and many other teenage and young adult topics. Ballads like Pristine and Heatwave are great examples of what I'm talking about. If you, I guess, read the genius annotations for any of these songs, you'll get a rich and detailed explanation for pretty much each line of the song. All in all, um, this record really did show off her potential as a singer-songwriter, and I'm very inclined to buy tickets to see her show when she comes to Cleveland in July. I would give this album a 9 out of 10. Um, the second album that I listened to, it was one that I've been looking forward to for a little bit of time now, Anderson Pack's new album called Ventura. It's his second release in the last six months, um, his last being Oxnard back in November of last year. I wasn't personally the biggest fan of that project, um, but I think Ventura was more of a voyage into pure R&B rather than, rather than putting much of his West Coast feel into it. The production and instrumentals are pretty crisp and definitely a lot better than Oxnard's. I guess songs like Make It Better and King James could be considered some of uh, Pac's best songs in a while, but I feel like some of the tracks could have been sharper or scratched altogether. As previously mentioned, Pac's strength is in the production and instrumental side of things, but I just think that he's just not as great in writing some of his own tracks. I definitely think songs like Winter Circle and Chosen One still seemed very lyrically empty compared to a lot of the other songs on this record. Um, despite a few hiccups, I think uh, Pac has definitely shown a lot of improvement from Oxnard. This record deserves a 7 out of 10. Um, I think definitely this is starting to become one of the biggest disappointments of 2019. It is the uh, new King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard record, Fishing for Fishies. Um, they're two years removed from dropping five albums in a span of a year. And, you know, they've seemed to quickly plummeted from their apex with this latest album. It was kind of plain and it was really lacking that real classic King Gizzard feel. I really think the bluesy and boogie influences weren't really like a great style choice for them. I mean, some might argue with, I guess, trying their hand at folk music on paper mache dream balloon was pretty far-fetched, but I actually really liked that record. Um, I noticed that a lot of the instrumentation was just not as diverse as their previous records, kind of boring and not really as experimental, as I said, as their previous records. That's really been the ethos of King Gizzard since the beginning. Other than that, most of the tracks couldn't really grab my attention. I've been a pretty big King Gizzard fan for the longest time now, and I'm disappointed to say that this album completely missed the mark for me. Um, so I'm feeling a 3 out of 10 on this record at best. 
Um, on a little bit of a happier note here, I'm going to talk about one of my favorite releases of 2019 so far. It's called Gray Area by Little Sims. I'd heard pretty good things about this album from a variety of sources, so I figured I would sit down and check it out. I was uh, pretty impressed with what she put out on this record. Um, I've never really been much of a UK uh, rap fan myself, but this record really had a solid sound. The grimy production and samples were fresh and well compiled. Um, I definitely think Grey Area takes um, more influence from uh, Brit Hard Rock from the 60s and 70s. Um, a lot of her rhymes were actually pretty sharp and in your face. Um, I haven't really heard anything like that so far this year. I will say it was a nice and refreshing change. I, I would even say that most of her mellow tracks are just as solid as the hardcore ones. Um, I would definitely say my favorite songs and ones that I think you should check out um, are Offense, Wounds, and Pressure. Um, I, uh, this is definitely a record that's ahead of its time. There were marginal complaints on my end, so I think it deserves a great score from any critic. For me, it definitely deserves a 9.5 out of 10. Um, and the last album I listened to last month was um, Hi, This Is Flume by Flume. Um, so this year, Flume will be headlining Lollapalooza in Chicago, so seeing new music from him was pretty much inevitable. Um, I decided to give it a listen, hoping it would be a pretty solid release. And I will be honest, I wasn't sure what to think of it. Um, you know, it does have that glitchy and techy production, per the norm, but it really did leave me disappointed. Um, I mean, yeah, the full-length songs like his um, remix of Is It Cold in the Water and How to Build a Relationship were pretty much the real highlights off this album. Um, the other 75% of it was just quick and sporadic interludes. I mean, I guess it makes sense because it's more of a mixtape, um, but I just found it so hard to get into a lot of them, you know. I just really wanted some more full-length tracks, and, you know, I definitely think if those were included, I think this record would really be um, a lot better. Um, I will say that it definitely did lack the same charm that Flume has had on his past releases, and I was hoping to see a lot more musically, um, so I'm thinking maybe somewhere in the fives on this album. So um, that pretty much concludes uh, my recap of April, so let's look forward to the month of May. Okay, so since it's pretty much like two-thirds of the way through May, I guess I won't, like, give my, like, reviews of the album. I'll probably give that for the next episode. I'll just tell you what albums I've been listening to this month. Um, so the first album that I uh, dove into earlier in the month was um, Vampire Weekend's new album, Father of the Bride. I also listened to the long-awaited Mac DeMarco record, Here Comes the Cowboy. Um, I still have to listen to um, Denzel Curry's album that he dropped last year, Taboo. Didn't listen to it, figured I'd get into it. Um, one that I was actually really excited to listen to was, um, 347 Eastern Standard Time by Claw 2. Um, uh, this was actually what I mentioned earlier. This was a polyphonic video that actually got me into them. And, um, it's, um, an album that I've been trying to listen to for a while. Haven't really gotten into them, but I'm fortunate that I did. I guess this is definitely probably the most hyped on the list. Um, I listened to Igor by Tyler the Creator. Um, I'm not going to spoil anything for you, but uh, I will definitely say that this is a really solid record, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Um, so yeah, I guess without um, spoiling too much for you, um, that's all I'm listening to in the month of May, so be sure to tune in to what I think of these albums um, come the next episode. Alright, so I figure that pretty much, um, you've been seeing a lot of interviews lately, and, um, it just hasn't been diverse, um, as I've hoped it's been, but, um, you know, I figured on this podcast I might make it a little bit more fun, 
Um, so I'm going to talk about some music hot takes. I reached out to people on my social media accounts and I asked them to give me, you know, their hot takes on a variety of topics. But I think for the podcast sake, I'll just focus on the music ones. So yeah, let's get right into what people have been uh, sending me. Um, one that I received said that um, Frank Ocean is one of the greatest lyricists of all time. You know, that's a really hard question. Um, I definitely would not say that he's like the best of all time. Of our generation, I'm sure you could probably say he's the best, but I think you're definitely overlooking such greats like John Lennon and Paul McCartney, Michael Jackson, Bob Dylan, Prince, and maybe David Bowie. Frank Ocean is definitely a visionary, no doubt. I love the way that he writes. His lyrics are elegant and reflective. They detail things like unrequited love, self-discovery, and nostalgia. And I think that really makes him stand out from a lot of today's modern artists. Um, Channel Orange and Blonde are some of my favorite records of the decade, and maybe even of all time. And I really do hope that he puts out another studio album soon. Um, this was actually a really fun one, and I really was kind of feeling kind of critical about this. Um, Drake's last three albums were bad. I pretty much agree with that statement. Um, the majority of those albums are filled with songs that fell pretty flat and didn't really make a musical impact on me. Um, most of Drake's albums are usually pretty long. I mean, Scorpion was a whopping 90 minutes, and there's usually about two or three songs, I guess, that are pretty good and I would listen to more than once. Uh, I would definitely say songs like Hotline Bling, Hold On We're Going Home, Passion Fruit, or God's Plan are some of my favorites. Um, three songs out of his whole discography. You know, I hope Drake will actually like put out a record soon that is just a little bit more than just trying to rack up streams on his Spotify account. I'm just really looking for so much more from Drake and what I'm seeing on his last few releases really have not shown that. Somebody also brought up, um, Americans don't like listening to foreign music. I really do think that Americans only listen to foreign music that's popular, and that's mostly the Latin American reggaeton that hits the billboard charts, or I guess K-pop bands like BTS that are making a big entrance in the popular music scene as well. Anything outside of that realm is pretty much a mystery to some of us, and that's really disappointing if you ask me. I mean, it's like so many people miss out on the amazing music from countries like Japan or China, maybe even anything in the European Union that's not in English. You know, hearing music in a different language may sound weird at first, but I think you should put that behind you. I mean, if you think about it, so many people that listen to music that's released here or in English in general, it's like they don't understand what they're saying, but they still know it, right? It's like people here know, like, all the words to Despacito, they know how to sing it, but, like, do they really know what it means? No. Um, I just definitely think that people should start opening their horizons, and I'm pretty sure that you can find some pretty amazing tunes. And um, the last take I had that I was going to touch on was that Run The Jewels are going to surpass OutKast as the greatest hip-hop duo of all time. I think this is actually a really interesting take. While I think OutKast is great, I feel like some of their discography is not as great as it should be. I think Run The Jewels has stayed consistent from their debut album, and they show no sign of stopping at their dominance. At the same time, how would you rank them against legendary hip-hop duos like Clips, Mob Deep, or Black Star? That's where it gets tough for me. I think after they release a few quality LPs, I could definitely see RTJ cementing their place in history. That's pretty much all I had on the hot take side of things, let's move on to the next segment. Alright, so the next segment I figured that we should discuss is um, something that I'm also really passionate about, other than music. I, I really love film, you know, and I really love 
films that are about music. I think today we should discuss some of my favorite music films that have inspired me and changed my life in a sense, and I hope that you can find something off of this list that really makes you feel inspired, whether it's the life of Brian Wilson that's discussed in Love and Mercy, or a struggling jazz drummer and his abusive jazz teacher in Whiplash. As I said, I hope you find something that inspires you. Um, so at number five, um, Buena Vista Social Club. This classic documentary explores legendary American guitarist Ry Cooter's journey to Cuba, and on this journey he brings together musicians from across the island to create a record and go on tour. Um, they actually had two sellout concerts in um, Amsterdam and um, at Carnegie Hall in New York City. Um, there isn't really too much that I have to say about this one. It's short and sweet. I think Cooter and director Wim Wonders had an interesting look at the culture of Cuba and its music, and um, how they were able to bring that to the world stage. Personally, I think the soundtrack album is phenomenal, and um, it contained all of the songs they performed. I think it was um, kind of unusual to see this filmed in Cuba, you know, back 20 years ago, because we still had an embargo with them, um, but I still think it broke boundaries, and it tells a pretty feel-good story about music. Um, number four is Straight Out of Compton. Um, this film had some crazy hype a few years back, um, and when I first saw it, I will admit it lived up to the buzz. Um, it explores the rise and fall of the rap group NWA. For those who don't know, um, NWA was a 1980s gangster rap group with famous rappers like Ice Cube and Dr. Dre at the helm. Uh, throughout their different music backgrounds, five guys from Compton all came together to make music. It details the, um, as I was saying earlier, it details the rise of their popularity with their record Straight Out of Compton, hence the movie's title, and um, their fall after um, the departure of Ice Cube and Dr. Dre, and in a sense, and um, the death of Eazy E. Um, this movie is actually really engrossing, telling a strong story of injustice and fighting for change. It was a tough time for Los Angeles in the late 80s and 90s, with police brutality plaguing the city's reputation. And definitely the Los Angeles riots of 92, some of the worst we've ever seen. And NWA were constantly being denied the right of performing their songs because of their depiction of gang life and rebellion and violence against the police. More importantly, they were being exploited by their managers and were never really given that fair right to really express who they were. Despite all this, Straight Outta Compton really shows the successes and bumps they had along their way. Um, of course, the soundtrack is great. I love Straight Outta Compton. Great album. It was pretty cool to see some gangster rock legends like the DOC and Snoop Dogg get some love in this movie. That was fun to see them kind of get their screen portrayals come to life. At number three, um, I'm going to discuss Love and Mercy. Um... This came out in 2015 as well, and it's based on the Brian Wilson song of the same name. Um, it tells the story of two different versions of Brian Wilson, the mastermind behind the Beach Boys. It depicts the struggles he had with mental illness during the times of the Pet Sounds era and 20 years in the future. His, manipul his manipulative psychiatrist and legal guardian, Dr. Eugene Landy, controls Brian and gives him no freedom to make decisions for himself. While shopping for a Cadillac, Brian meets Melinda Ledbetter who is portrayed by Elizabeth Banks. And she sees the unfair treatment that Wilson is given. Throughout the majority of the second half of this film, she fights to cut ties with Landy, and in the end, they actually end up marrying each other. It's kind of a Hollywood ending in a sense, but it was very respectable and a good choice by director Bill Paulad. I think in terms of other musical biopics, I think this definitely gets overlooked. Um, it's amazingly well-made and has some really great acting performances from Paul Dano and John Cusack as both versions of Brian Wilson. The authenticity of this film is definitely what made me enjoy it, though. Scenes of where they're recording pet sounds in the studio were almost written verbatim from the pet sounds studio transcripts. Um, what this means is that some of the lines and actions were actually done back in the 60s were actually brought to life. So when Brian says in the movie, Do you think we could get a horse in here? That was actually proposed by Wilson himself. 
Um, in terms of praise, Wilson and Ledbetter responded very positively to this movie. Um, Ledbetter even said that uh, Dr. Landy's treatment was almost worse in real life. Um, while I will admit that it is kind of a depressing film, all of the outstanding performances by all the actors in a sense, the historical accuracy of this film is definitely a force to be reckoned with. At number two, I'm going to talk about Almost Famous. This film explores one teenager, William Miller, going on tour with the fictitious band Stillwater to try and get his cover story published by Rolling Stone. He was originally hired sight unseen, and um, he goes on the road to cover the band after they opened for Black Sabbath. Despite originally being labeled as a quote-unquote enemy by the band early on, he slowly makes his way into their inner circle and gains some pretty important information. Unfortunately, this story ends up being claimed as 90% false by the band to protect their image because there was some pretty interesting stuff that was going around. Um, this story ends up being killed by Rolling Stone, hence this movie's title, Almost Famous. I really did love this film, and what made it stand out to me was the story. Cameron Crowe based this film on his own life when he was a teenage journalist writing for Rolling Stone. The screenplay for this movie was so brilliant that it ended up winning an Academy Award. And I definitely couldn't agree more, it was really well written. As someone who's, you know, trying to get a start in music journalism, um, it really hit me when I first saw it. Um, you know, over the last six months I've been incredibly fortunate to talk with so many amazing musicians, and early on in the history of Baz Reviews no less. but. Almost Famous makes me want to strive for more. Could I get something published by a music magazine or website? Maybe. Could I go on tour with a band and write a really cool story about them? Who knows, you know? This movie's witty dialogue paired with some smooth 70s rock makes it something that I would love to watch over and over again in the future. And at number one, no doubt this is an amazing film, it's called Whiplash. Miles Teller stars as Andrew Neiman, a promising jazz student looking to succeed at the fictional Shaver Conservatory of Music in New York City. Early on, he attracts the attention of the respected conductor Terence Fletcher, portrayed by the legendary J.K. Simmons. Andrew is quickly introduced to the abusive ways of Fletcher as he viciously insults him, hurls furniture, and slaps him repeatedly. You know, he's constantly fighting to keep a spot in the top group and never seems to win Fletcher's respect. And um, it just gets so bad that Andrew ends up getting dismissed after attacking Fletcher. The dude literally shows up bloodied after getting into a car accident. He forgot his drum set. It's all so perfectly planned. And the lack of sympathy on Fletcher's end, it's just appalling. You know, he ends up testifying against Fletcher's actions in court. He gets fired. And then it's funny, they end up, you know, rekindling at the end of the movie with a really cool finale where... Uh, Andrew gets invited to play in one of uh, Fletcher's outside jazz bands, so I think this movie is definitely really great despite, you know, not being, you know, the greatest representation of jazz culture. It's a phenomenal directorial debut from Damien Chazelle. As I said, J.K. Simmons' performance as Fletcher was absolutely superb. The screenplay and story arc are also very well done. Um, and while I have performed in jazz bands in the past, it was never really like a fight for your right situation. I think this is almost like a reminiscing of when Chazelle was in high school or college jazz band. It's almost sugar-coated of the overall reality of what jazz really is. Um, despite all this, you know, I definitely think this film is a must-watch because of its technicalities. Um, so what do you think of my picks? Do you think there was a movie that should have been on this list or shouldn't have been on my list? I hope you can suggest something to me that you'll think I like, you know, and um, I'm always open to suggestions, so as I said, feel free to reach out to me. Alright, so now we're going to get into the final segment of this podcast, and it's pretty much going to be the meat of um, what this is all about. Um, 
as I mentioned earlier, I got an interview with one of my personal heroes, Noah Lefebvre, a.k.a. Polyphonic. He's a Canadian journalist and YouTuber known for his in-depth video essays about music, and he focuses on many overlooked aspects of certain artists or songs. For example, he made a video on why Kendrick Lamar says, What's the Yams? on King Kunta. He also made another video on who Elton John's Rocket Man was, and I thought that was kind of cool. With almost 500,000 subscribers on YouTube and his videos regularly hitting views in the millions, Polyphonics videos, I mean, they never cease to amaze me. And as I said, sitting down and talking with one of my inspirations to start Baz Reviews, um, it really made me excited. And I'm incredibly fortunate to have him here on the podcast today. Noah, you're on, man. Welcome aboard. Um, so I know you were previously a journalist for other organizations before YouTube, but um, which uh, YouTubers would you say influenced you to start a career in the first place? Um, so I think there's two or three uh, ones that I'd say are my biggest influence. One of the biggest ones, and I think it shows a lot in my style, is the nerd writer. Um, he was he was a huge influence on uh, the kind of videos that I made, and uh, particularly his Steely Dan video um, was one of the one of the videos that first kind of made me start thinking, oh hey, I could do this. Um, and then uh, also Captain Christian is another big one in the in the kind of video essay realm. And uh, another one of my biggest influences is uh, the Idea Channel, PBS Idea Channel with uh, Mike Rugnetta, that show that used to run. Um, that was a big one to j that just got me kind of thinking about uh, applying a critical lens to the things that I loved. Um, and obviously, one of the things I love the most is music. So that was one of the uh, that was one of the big influences on me getting started. I'd say those three, and then just Generally, I kind of became obsessed with any video essay channel, so every frame of painting everyone loves um uh now you see it all all of the all of these kind of all of the video essay channels I'm a big video essay geek. Yeah, as you were mentioning about the um, Steely Dan video by Nerdwriter, um yeah, I really loved your rendition of it too. I mean, I learned so much about like you know, I love Steely Dan, um, and hearing about, you know, all the studio musicians and, you know, the, the tricks behind the album, I mean, that was really um, an interesting view on the band. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it was, it was I, I, I had wanted to do a Steely Dan one for a long time, but I just, it, 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 was, it was a pretty daunting video to do, because I also, I love Steely Dan so much, um, that it's just like, I, I, I was kind of like, how can I, how can I do them justice, and how can I say everything that I want to say about Steely Dan in just one video, so I made one really long video. Um, so I know you were involved with the um, journalism scene in Ottawa for a while, but um, how did it feel like getting worldwide attention for the videos that you make? I used to be based out of Ottawa. I'm in Vancouver now. Yeah, it's kind of, it's still kind of surreal. Like, Ottawa's my hometown, and 500,000 is like half of Ottawa's population, which is just wild to me. I think... A lot of the time, it's uh, I, I, a lot of the time. I just try not to think about it. Really, I think if I if I really let the numbers sink in too much, I think it would mess with me a bit. I think I tend to just because uh, the thing is, like day to day, it's not like it's anything that fancy. It's me in my office shooting vid videos, editing videos, usually in my pajamas. Like it's pretty, it's a pretty casual thing. So uh, I feel like a lot of the time, I don't really. I, I don't really think about how big I am, but then every now and then I realize it, or I'll be watching a channel, and it'll be a channel that I really like, and I'll 
look over and see their subscribers and see that it's a, like, they have, like, half as many subscribers as me. And I'm like, I'm kind of like, oh, well, I, I take, I, I take these people's word very highly, but, uh, I, I, for myself, I feel like I'm just, like, a guy, you know? I don't really, I don't often, uh, think that much about being big or famous or anything like that. And I think it also helps that, uh, the nature of my channel is such that people don't know who I am, which is part, which is pretty intentional. I kind of want to keep my identity at least semi-obscure, like I don't show my face and stuff like that. So it's not like I get people, uh, coming up to me on the street and saying, oh my god, you're polyphonic or something. But every now and then it's cool where I like, I'll be hanging out with someone and they'll mention this video or I get it from friends a lot. People will say, they had a friend suggest uh, my channel to them, and the friends will be like, oh, yeah, I know that guy. So that's always kind of a – it's always a neat bit of a humbling experience. That's kind of an interesting point, what you were saying about, you know, like intentionally hiding your um, uh, identity, I guess. Um, I, I remember from one of your Q&A videos, someone asked you to do a face reveal, and you just posted an artist rendition. And, yeah, I mean, that's very good being humble and all that, and that's really a respectable choice to have. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to, it's not that, like, like, obviously, I'm not, like, being super secretive about who I am, and, like, I obviously let my name be known and stuff, but generally I don't want, I, 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 the big thing is my face, I feel like I'm pretty happy with being able to walk around on the street and not get recognized or things like that, not that I think I would get recognized that often, but yeah, it's a, uh, it's, it, it's a decision I made early on, and I'm glad I made it. Um, what would you say is your typical process for making a polyphonic video? So the process will – there's kind of a couple steps, and their videos kind of – they it, it's a mixed process. Sometimes they come in a flash, and I will, like, have this idea and be so obsessed with this and spend, like, three days reading everything I can about an artist and listening to everything I can. Like, like right now, I've been listening to – Stevie Wonder pretty much nonstop because I'm working on a Stevie Wonder video for the last week. Um, but other times, uh, it kind of sits and percolates. But usually the, the process is first I come up with an idea, often just listening to music or talking to people about music. And then every now and then I'll just kind of, if I'm really hurting for an idea, I'll just flip through my record collection, go through my Spotify and be like, what's an artist that I really like that I want to do something on, and then I'll kind of think of a take from there. But usually the take tends to come all together at once with the artist. And so once I've got that, I'll do some research and work it into a script. And writing a script usually takes me about, um, I'd say writing a script usually takes me about a day with research and writing the script. And uh, my fiancé edits them, which is awesome. Um, and... Uh, once that's done, sometimes I'll jump right into the script right away. Sometimes I won't. I've got scripts that I wrote like a year or six months ago that I'm still kind of just sitting on because I haven't felt the flash yet. Um, but once I do start, the first thing I actually tend to do is create my thumbnail, which seems like a bit of a kind of counterintuitive process. Um, but I create the thumbnail for the video and that helps me understand the aesthetic um so that helps me feel out what i think i want this video to look like 
Um, and, and it's easier to do that with a static image than with video. Um, so that's why I do that, and I feel that out. And then once I've got the aesthetic, I kind of just go in, and it's just um, a process of editing. I just uh, spend anywhere between three and six or seven days uh, recording the voiceover and then editing the video, just putting pieces together, pulling together images, figuring out which clips of which songs best represent what I'm trying to say. Um, and then I also work pretty far in advance. I generally work a few months in advance. Um, so what tends to happen is that uh, I'll finish a video, set it aside, and then kind of a week before it, uh, a week before I launch, uh, I launch that video, I'll come back to it, look at it again, brush up some things, kind of come at it with a set of fresh eyes. And often I'll, I'll, there will be things that I noticed that I missed last time or things that I thought looked good that this time I don't think is good. So I'll make usually just pretty minor tweaks and changes and, and then I'll launch the video. Yeah, it's kind of good to, you know, I guess what you're doing now, like, you know, approaching a video with new eyes. It's almost like you're like like an artist like or a sculptor, like making something and then stepping away for a little while and then coming at it with, um, I guess, a new set of perspective and you're able to catch things, like you said, um, and make it as good as it can possibly be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Usually I like to finish a first draft in kind of one sitting in three or four days just because I like to have these ideas in my head and I like to have them kind of consistently. Um, but yeah, exactly. I like to kind of step back, let it breathe. And it's really useful to, to come at it with a set of fresh eyes. So, um, yeah, I think definitely some of the stories that you cover in your videos are like really, really interesting and unique, I guess. Like, you know, you, you told a story on like, what's the yams or, like, what's the significance behind what's the yams on to Pimp a Butterfly or finding out um, who is Elton John's Rockin' Man? Um, what would you say fuels your interest to tell certain stories about that kind of stuff? Um, I think part of that comes from my journalism background. I was trained to tell stories. So what I look for, every now and then I do analysis because people like analysis, but I like telling stories more. And I think stories engage people. So... Usually my my rule is I just make a video that I would find interesting. Um, so I mean the Kendrick Lamar one, which was uh, that was it was the third video I released, but it was actually the first video I ever uh, made, and it just came from me really liking King Kuta and being like, uh, like, what does Kendrick mean when he says what's the yams? Um, like that was literally kind of my thought process from that, and then. Other ones, like uh, the Elton John one, sometimes I'll, I, I like picking a single song or a single album or, or a single focus. I think it's, it's, if I wanted to do just a general overlay of an artist's entire career, I think that would be a difficult task to do. So that's kind of why I try to uh, simplify it a little bit. And often I'll, I was listening to Rocket Man a lot, and I was like, uh well, I bet you there's an interesting story behind this song, and I looked it up, and sure enough, there was. And that's not always the case. Sometimes uh, sometimes I'll look up a song and just not really be able to find an angle and, and move on from it. Um, but usually, I think the biggest one of the biggest things that I've learned uh, is that 
pretty much anyone who creates music, and I think this applies to any kind of art, uh, puts a lot of thought and puts a lot of effort into it. And I think because of that, there's almost always interesting stories to be found behind songs. And so I like focusing... I'd, I'd rather go really in-depth about one thing than do a broad overview of a bunch of things m- most of the time. Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of those videos, I mean, they're, like, super interesting to me, and I really like the way that you tell those stories 100%. Well, and that's the thing. I like to have, like, angles or takes. I don't like to just... Because I, I, the thing is, especially especially when it comes to, like, a lot of these musicians, like like, people are obsessed with them people know everything about their career already like people 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 know everything about Led Zeppelin right but what I want to do is I want to bring give people a new way to look at something they already love a lot of the time it's not like I'm if, if I was doing something on an unknown artist I might be more liable to you know uh branch out a bit about like well who are they how'd they get their start and stuff like that but Generally, the music I do is stuff that people love, adore, and care about a lot, so they usually know the artist's story. So what I like to do is find a way, uh, rather than show somebody something new, uh, I, I'd like to show somebody a new way to to, to love something they already love. So a new angle to appreciate their favorite artist or something like that. Yeah, for sure. Going off of that, um, what would you say um, have been your favorite videos to research and make over the years? So, uh, in in terms of I, I that that Frank Sinatra video would be would a hundred percent be one of them, just because Frank Sinatra was an artist where that's one where I enjoyed everything I had heard from Frank Sinatra, but I didn't know really that much about Frank Sinatra. So it was fun to to in the process of this research to learn a lot about this artist who is obviously like one of the greats of all time. Um, and, and as usual, whenever I'm researching something, I become obsessed and in my spare time, uh, listen to a lot of that artist. So I was listening to a ton of Frank Sinatra then, and it was a, it was a lot of fun to just kind of do this and to do an angle that's, that, that that's a bit different to, uh, it was a bit of a kind of hot take, uh, uh, if you will. And I, I really enjoy, kind of making bold statements and then having to defend them. It's one of my favorite things to do. Uh, that's, that's what my, my Beach Boys video kind of is too, saying Good Vibrations is one of the greatest songs of all time. It's a pretty bold take and I really enjoyed making that one because I was like, I, I want to start with something inflammatory and then by the end of the video have you going, oh yeah, he's right. Um, then let me pull up my videos to see some more of my favorites. I, I really enjoyed making my video on Klaatu, the band everyone thought was the Beatles, just because that's one that's, like, not even really a music story. It's just a story, it's just a weird story about people and the way people want to believe stuff and things like that. So I thought that was a really, really neat video that I was really proud of and really enjoyed making, just because it was weird and different. And then probably my favorite video I've ever made to date might be my uh, Kind of Blue Miles Davis video. Because that one, I love Miles Davis and I love Kind of Blue. It's one of uh, my favorite albums ever. But I never knew why I loved it. So I wanted to look into what was it that drew me to this album and what was it that made this album 
so special. And, and through that, I found my angle and learned all about modal jazz, which I didn't really know about before. So it was really cool to, to learn about that and learn that, in fact, kind of confirm what I had thought in my mind that like there is something, there is something different and something special about this album. And it was really cool to, to learn all about that. And then I also just really enjoyed making the, the aesthetic of that video. Yeah. I actually, I feel kind of bad. I haven't really seen the Miles Davis one, but I have seen, um, I did see the Frank Sinatra one and I also saw the claw two one. I was actually really interested in that one. I listened to um, my first Klaatu record the other day. It was uh, 3.47 Eastern Standard Time. And I thought, well, I mean, I can't really spoil it for... Yeah, I definitely thought it was a really, really interesting album to listen to, for sure. Yeah, I, I think it's just... I I like this. And the thing is, the, the Beatles headline gave me an, an excuse to do it, too, because I also just like, like, just weird kind of snippets of music history. And they're all over the place, just weird artists or strange stories and and I, I love Klaatu for that reason because also also I'm Canadian and Klaatu are Canadian so I, right. I like representing any of that um but yeah it's just it's just like a fun weird thing and I think people yeah I think people got like way kind of like overhyped around them and they either loved them or hated them or things like that but in reality they're just this weird thing that's, that exists, and sometimes it's fun to listen to this weird thing that exists. And the rest of their albums are pretty good, too. Like, they're, they're not, like, they're not, like, world changers, but they're just good, fun music, and every now and then you need fun, weird shit. Um, yeah, and what you were saying about, um, your, your Beach Boys one, uh, about good vibrations, um, have you actually seen the film, uh, Love and Mercy? No, I, I want to watch it. It's on my list. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, man, that's a really great movie, man. You should definitely check it out. Um, it's definitely worth your time. Cool. I'll definitely yeah. check it out. Do you have any video ideas in the works right now? Um, you mentioned earlier about, um, having a Stevie Wonder one in the works, but, um, didn't know if you had anything else on the table at the moment. Yeah, I've got, I've got a lot. Uh, I mean, I've got some that are done. I'm really excited about that I've got coming out where... Uh, I'm actually working with a new video platform called Nebula. I'm doing a trilogy of videos about um, Led Zeppelin's epics. So I'm doing one on Stairway to Heaven, one on Kashmir, and one on Achilles' Last Stand. Um, and and they're all going to be they're all going to be released. Uh, well, Stairway to Heaven is going to be released on YouTube, and then the other two are going to be Nebula exclusives to this new video platform launching Friday. So that's one thing that I've got coming up that I'm really, really excited about. This is a project I've kind of been working on for a long time, but uh, I've had it super under wraps. So it's really exciting for that to, uh, for that to come out. Plus, I mean, I, I found an angle that I think I, I think I like, and I won't spoil it for you, but I think it's an interesting angle to take on Stairway to Heaven, um, which is a song that just like, it's, it's, Everyone knows Stairway to Heaven. Everyone's heard Stairway to Heaven. Uh, like, like it's it's one of these things that just exists in our society and has existed and always will. So I was really happy when I came up with an idea that I think would work as a um, as as a fresh as a fresh take. Um, uh, so I'm really excited to have that come out. Um, what goals would you say that you have for the future in terms of polyphonic or, I guess, personal goals in a sense? Um, I think the big thing is I just want to 
keep making interesting videos and and stay stay fresh, if you will. Um, I think one of the biggest things is I'm starting to move towards some longer form stuff, um, which I think is interesting. Multi-parters, like my Vietnam War one was my first real multi-part video, and this this Led Zeppelin trilogy that is uh, the first trilogy I've done, and I think I'm I'm interested in exploring the potential of longer form more, and eventually I kind of want to get into uh, I, I might even want to get into making documentaries or writing a book or something like that. Um, but really, it's hard to say for the time being, I'm kind of just, I'm, I'm kind of just, uh, I, I want to make interesting videos. I want to make videos that, um, inspire people and I want to make videos that, uh, teach people new things and give people new ways to listen to music. And I think that that's most of, most of what my real goal is, is just keep doing what I'm doing and, and keep it fresh. Keep it, uh, I always, I, my favorite comment to get, uh, and I get it every now and then, is people saying, oh my god, I never thought you'd do a video on this artist when I release a video. And, and I love that because I, I wanna be, I wanna be unpredictable. Um, and I wanna, uh, I want people to really, every Thursday, not log into their feed having no idea what's gonna come from me. So that's, that's part of my goal is to, to keep doing weird original takes and and doing things that that people wouldn't expect uh, out of Polyphonic. All right, cool. Thanks again, Noah. Um, that pretty much wraps up all I've got to say. And um, you know, I hope we can talk again in the future. Thanks again, my man. Yeah, have a good one. All right, and that pretty much wraps up this edition of the BazCast. Um, thanks again to everybody for tuning in once again. Um, new listeners, I hope that you're really interested in what I'm doing, and I hope that you can support my stuff in the future. Um, and again, if you heard something that you don't really agree with, or if you do agree with, for that matter, I'm always down to do musical debates, you know? It's just really what I love doing, and that's part of the reason why I started Baz Reviews in the first place. I just want to, you know, make new connections and, you know, bring people together through something that I love, which is music. It's almost like what it's what Noah Lefebvre really wants to do with his career, and, um, you know, I really just hope that you guys like the content that I'm releasing and, you know, just keep paying attention to my website for some new content. And, um, yeah, see you guys again with another episode of the BazCast. This is Baz, signing off. Baz.